As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Doug Godley. What's up? Welcome into All Ball, the All Bad Basketball Podcast, where we talk usually a little bit more than just basketball. Kelvin Sampson, head coach of Houston, just won his 600th game. Competed against him when he was at Oklahoma. I remember when he was at Washington State. Of course, we all remember Indiana. Do you remember Montana Tech? I don't. Um, we'll talk some Montana Tech, some Michigan State. He was a grad assistant there. And of course, a little bit of Houston, as he'll join us a little bit later on in the show. Um, should should be a little bit later on in the pod. Should be great. So Kelvin Sampson. Also, Kyle Dodd will be our guest. Kyle Dodd's a former point guard at Arizona State. He's their uh, radio color analyst. Uh, I want to ask him about, about, I think he was a point guard when Eddie House had 61 points. He was a freshman. Eddie House was a senior. Ask him what that experience is like. And then I want to ask him about the Pac-12. Why is the Pac-12 so down? And I'll, I'll kind of give you my own thoughts. Matter of fact, I'll give you my own thoughts right now. Um, I do think that there are certain leagues and certain schools that are not built to be able to withstand the massive turnover. Matter of fact, most programs aren't. Makes Michigan even more remarkable, right? They lose Mo Wagner. Um, you lose Sharif Abdul Rahman. And up until the last weekend, game I called against Wisconsin, they were undefeated. And part of that is beeline. Part of that is... They're recruiting, and part of that is the core of the guys that they brought back. And part of that is schedule, right? Some, some of it is schedule, who you get, when you get them. You played a national championship game. You won a Big Ten tournament the year before. 
But a lot of programs, like Villanova wasn't really built to withstand. Had they not lost Dante DiVincenzo and Spellman, they're a top five, top seven team this year anyway. They just are. Duke, obviously, in Kentucky, they have to build themselves to withstand massive losses and defections to the NBA, but they're able to get the top five guy, you know, fight over the top five guys. And you see Ashton Hagen's improving remarkably because he's a legit dude. And you see how good Duke is, especially when they have Trey Jones. So you look at the West Coast programs and from Oregon State losing Drew Eubanks, who put his name in and signed a two-way contract with the Spurs, you know, to, uh, to Stanford losing uh, Reed Travis, who grad transferred out to UCLA losing Aaron Holiday, to Arizona losing essentially their entire team. You know, a senior laden, you lose, you lose Trey Holder, three big seniors for Arizona State. Like, these programs aren't built to withstand this. USC might have been, but between Benny Boatwright not being right, between Kevin Porter and all the misfires there. But the big thing is you're judged. A, a league is judged based upon their, their elite level, their top-level programs. And Cal is a dumpster fire. It should be a better program, but they've been depleted by the NBA and by, you know, Conzo not building it for the long term and then leaving shortly into his stay. And UCLA, I mean, but it's really UCLA and Arizona. And Arizona, because of the accusations midseason last year against Sean Miller, lost most of their recruiting class. And UCLA, you know, it was, it was tenuous at best to see if Alford could keep his job, and they're really young, and they only have one point guard on the team. That's what you're judged by. But we'll get Kyle Dodd's thoughts. A um, couple thoughts quickly around the NBA. It does feel like Kyrie Irving has decided to uh, walk the walk after talking the talk, doesn't it? Like single-handedly taking over games, showing the ability to have double digits and assists. It's always interesting when somebody comes out in the media and I didn't feel like he ripped his teammates. I feel like what he said was like, hey, look, you want to get there? I've been there. I also didn't feel any sort of negative feelings towards him when he said he called LeBron James. Haven't you ever wanted to call somebody in your life and say, hey, you know what? I was an ass then. Sorry. Can you forgive me? I really learned a lot from you. I've done that. I thought Kyrie showed an incredible amount of maturity. And then after the whatever happened in Orlando, taking over games, scoring and assist, he's been magnificent. It's been pretty amazing to watch him walk the walk after talk of the talk. A guy who, for whatever reason, sometimes doesn't get the respect I think he deserves. He's a top 10, maybe top five player in the NBA. He is that dynamic. Let me give you a couple other quick NBA thoughts, and then I'll give you some college stuff, some teams that I've seen in person. The Golden State Warriors have added DeMarcus Cousins. And I, I do, look, they're still going to be the overwhelming favorite to win it all. And so when I tweet about DeMarcus Cousins looking heavy and lacking lift and being out of shape and also how the Warriors are going to have to change the way they play with them, I, I, I feel that's a, that's a basketball opinion that I have and that is shared by others in the NBA. Whether it's shared by others or not, but it is actually shared by others in the NBA. And here's the thing. Cousins has always been the best or second best player on his team. And now all of a sudden he's going to have to be the fifth best player. That's all. Everyone says, oh, I'll be fine. We'll see. And if you play him, even if he gets back to being healthy and right now, he's not fully healthy. He's not fully in shape. He's not moving the same. He doesn't jump the same. That remember the golden state warriors have won three championships playing with their death lineup. 
The death lineup does not incurb, have a big guy. And the reason it, the death lineup works is Draymond can play center and they can switch with everybody with the exception for the most part of Steph Curry. If you add DeMarcus Cousins, though it can improve your efficiency on offense and give you another weapon, it also can really hurt you on defense because now you have two guys that you're going to try and hide. Right? Now they, you can't switch uh, you know, with everyone. You have two guys you don't really want to switch with. It changes their ball screen coverage. Changes, it changes a lot of how they play. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't have done the deal if I was the Warriors, considering who else was out there, considering my options. It was a great option, but it doesn't mean that it's a locked up since they win a championship. It just doesn't. There's a lot more to it than that. And he's coming off of an Achilles tendon tear and he doesn't look like he's back the same. Now, can he get back to you got four months before he plays in the NBA finals? There's no reason to believe he won't be better. He won't be further along. Uh, an additional concern is he looks a little bit heavy. I would have thought he'd look light coming in and looking a little bit heavy. That is what tends to have other things get hurt, right? You're like, your Achilles tendon's fine, but now you pull a hammy. And now your knee has soreness, or your hips, or your back, because you're carrying a little bit more weight, and you're not trying to favor your Achilles tendon, but your body's still learning how to adjust and play while you're recovering from what's a debilitating injury. So it's going to be something to watch. I don't think the Warriors bench is nearly what it's been. I know that Livingston's been a mid-range bucket getter and found a way to dig deep in the playoffs before. And Iguodala went healthy, but he wasn't healthy last year. And we'll see if he can dig deep again in the playoffs. So we, we shall see. But I'm not convinced that they are better demonstrably because of Boogie Cousins. That even though JaVale McGee is not a better player than Boogie Cousins, JaVale McGee knew, knew his role, block shots, occasionally score. There was one game in the finals where he did have to score. But, but stay out of the way. Just be a screener, a mover, fly on the wall. And then when he's out of the game, he was fine with it. When DeMarcus is out of the game, how will he handle it? I still think it's going to be fascinating to watch. I also, though, wonder if anybody in the West can beat them. The Rockets aren't as good as they were previously, and Chris Paul, of course, not healthy. Where have I heard that before? The likelihood that Chris Paul is healthy and that they're better than last year. Last year's Rockets team beats this year's Warriors team. But last year's Rockets team is no more. Oklahoma City outside of Paul George can't shoot, and something's wrong with Russell Westbrook. I'm not sure that the Lakers, when healthy, aren't the second-best team in the West, but they don't have enough shooting. They can, guard, they can guard, really, really guard, but don't have enough shooting. Utah, I mean, not Utah, Denver, they're, they're not ready yet. Denver's fun. Denver will be hard to play against because you're playing an altitude and because uh, their center is like, their, like a point guard in terms of his ability to pass, and they spread you all out, and they're fun, but they're not beating the Warriors in the playoffs. Portland's come back down to earth, but they're still fun. I just, I don't think the Warriors are as good as they've been. I think whether it's Toronto or Boston coming out of the East and Boston having trouble kind of, a, 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 you know, adjusting to new roles. But I don't, I'm not convinced the Warriors are better than they were last year. The only difference is the West probably isn't as good as it was last year. Let me take a minute to talk to you about Robinhood. Robinhood. You heard of it? No, no. Robinhood, the investing app. Yeah, Robinhood lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all commission-free. What they want is to make financial services work for everyone, not just for the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple. It's intuitive. It's got a clear design with data presented with an easy-to-digest way. There's no cost, no commissions. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood's web platform lets you view stock collections like the 100 most popular sectors like entertainment and social media and female CEOs. 
and analysts rate buy, hold, and sell for every stock. Learn by doing. Learn how to invest and build your portfolio. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at Doug1.Robinhood.com. That's Doug1.Robinhood.com. Doug1.Robinhood.com. Let me introduce you to Kyle Dodd. Kyle Dodd's a former point guard of mine. I coached him. He played for Bray Olinda High School. Played for my dad and me in AAU basketball. He was a freak athlete. A Five foot eleven white point guard from Orange County who could win any dunk contest. Jump to the moon. The starting point guard as a freshman at Arizona State. He's now Arizona State's color analyst on radio, and he's been doing it for years, so he knows the entire Pac-12. All right, let's welcome in Kyle Dodd, who was a superstar, super freak athlete at Arizona State. Best player you played with with the Sun Devils? Ah, uh, Eddie House, Ike Diagu, probably uh, are both close. I played with Eddie my freshman year he was a senior um just unbelievable scoring games just probably my easiest job as a point guard just kind of ran the give and go a lot give it to eddie and go the heck away and get out of his way so um, <laughs> ike yagu was you know phenomenal he was a freshman when i was a senior and uh, probably, definitely the best post player i, I played with but uh you know it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to eddie. Let, let's let's start with with eddie you uh, you were the point guard when he scored 61 at cal right yeah, that's that's my uh, claim to fame. Me and Eddie combined for sixty four that night. So, what was it like? Oh, just incredible. I mean, it was it was one of those games, and I remember being in the press conference after, and I played actually played pretty well that game. And and I think a reporter from the Bay Area had asked me, they're like, you, you know, you guys really have a good on court rapport, and you guys seem to be gelling. And I I kind of looked at the guy, which is dumbfounded, like, dude, it ain't that hard. What I did tonight, like, I literally threw the ball as as he was getting, you know, ready to shoot. And, and the thing about Eddie was everybody talks about a quick release and, you know, you have a quick release. Well, what Eddie did is he had quick quick shot preparation. He got his feet set. So by the time that ball hit his hands, it was he was in the air almost like Steph does, you know, right now. Yeah, he was a talker too. Like I, I, I talked with him at the, the game I broadcast last night. I was like, hey, you remember when we played you? It was early on in your career. You got in a fight with somebody like on the sidelines. Like, oh, yeah, that – that shit happened all the time. Like he didn't, it, it's just, it's a, it's a different, it's a different deal, which I'm cool with. Like we, I would get into arguments with my guys all the time. I, I don't know how like civilians kind of handle that, but he was a, he, he would talk a little bit. Oh, absolutely. No, he, he talked more than anybody I ever played with or played against. My, my favorite story is we had gone 11 straight years uh, without beating UCLA. ASU hadn't beaten them in 22 straight games. We were playing them at home. It was Eddie's last chance to get them. We were up, uh, I think, in the paper the day before, Matt Barnes had said, yeah, we've heard about his scoring game, we've heard about it, but I'm telling you, he has to go for 40 to even have a chance. And we blitzed him. We were up 30 with, like, you know, five minutes into the second half and about six minutes left to go in the game. Eddie has 37, gets fouled on the three, goes to the line, and right before he shoots his first free throw, he looks at Matt Barnes, he goes 38, makes it, looks at him again, 39, makes it, and then he just says 40, makes the free throw, checks himself out of the game, looks at our coach, Coach Evans, just says, get me out. And he says, get these dudes off my floor. And I was like, you know, I'm a freshman playing in the Pac-10 for the first time, and I'm like, oh, my God, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, okay, Ike Diago, was he, could he guard different positions? Because it feels like he was like undersized, no neck, but long arms, would be like a 4-5 combo now. Uh, I almost feel like he might have been born before his time. Yeah, I. I think Ike, um, 
you know, he was just raw. I mean, he was he was really really talented, but um, you know, he struggled a little bit to like remember plays, um, you know, defensive assignments and stuff. But just natural raw ability. I mean, he yeah, he probably fits a little bit better right now in, in today's game. I mean, dude is still getting it done playing on the Nigerian national team, and but uh, he could step out and shoot it and. Guy had the biggest hands I've ever seen. I mean, I was the GA the next year after I got done playing, and one of my favorite things to do was just run post drills because I mean I would throw the ball as hard as I could on a post entry pass just to watch him, you know, snag it with one hand. It was it was ridiculous, but yeah, very skilled and super good kid. You know, was just extremely uh, educated. At, you know, growing up, his parents were I think both doctors and uh, you know really really good kid and smart kid. All right, last thing: Why is the Pac-12 so bad this year? I don't know. I just think, you know, so many, so many teams have, uh, have lost, you know, guys. I mean, it, it, you, we, I talked to your brother last night, actually, before the game, and, you know, you look around and nobody has, you know, veteran players anymore. And I think that's why we had a little bit of success early last year, as you did, because we had three senior guards, and you just don't see that anymore. And, I mean, look around the league, and there's, there's nobody in the league that really has players that have been on the roster for two, three years. It's all guys that are, either transfers or, you know, you know, there's some talent. Um, you know, UCLA, obviously, we see that. I mean, USC, yeah, I brought in some talent in Washington. and But uh, I just think it's, yeah, it's just a kind of a, a combination of uh, guys being in and out, coaches being in and out, and, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, uh, it's I've never really seen it like this since I've been around it for the, you know, 20-plus years. Uh, my, 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 we, we got to run, but my hypothesis is this one Arizona UCLA being down hurts the overall image of the league, but the, the, the teams that usually win on talent in the league, right? Cal, the worst they've been in a long time, right? Cal massively down. Arizona had to kind of re, re, you know, hit reboot in their whole program and UCLA firing their coach. Like those three teams, as well as USC and Arizona State are always kind of up and down programs. But those two, you know, those three are usually talent-rich programs, and two of them, um, you know, complete refresh jobs, and then UCLA just a mishmash where they fired, and they don't have enough guards. That's that's the other part, dude. Good catching up. Appreciate you joining us. All right, thanks, Doug. Thank you. Now let's talk with with Kelvin Sampson. Kelvin, of course, just won his six hundredth game as head coach at Oklahoma, and he's had a marvelous career, including leading Oklahoma to the Final Four, where they lost. Remember when? Uh, when I went when Team Cleves sprained his ankle, right? Um, the great Hollis Price was his point guard. That was an incredible team. We had seven battles. I think we played them seven times when I was at Oklahoma State, and I think we were four and three against them. They swept us my junior year. He beat us my on senior night at at our place. He, he I I believe a terrific coach. Obviously, the NCAA stuff has distracted people from. Um, how hard his teams play and how well his teams play. And then last year, of course, Houston missed free throws. Otherwise, they beat Michigan in the second round of the tournament, and Michigan doesn't go on to a national championship game. Let's welcome in the head coach of the Houston Cougars, Kelvin Sampson. Uh, coach, I, look, I know that everybody talks about your team now, and maybe I want to get into last year uh, and how incredible you guys played against Michigan and kind of how we, you know, the, the, the pain of the tournament is we don't talk about teams that maybe outperform others because of the result, but I, I want to, let's go back. Okay. Your upbringing is different than any other coach in college basketball. Fair. Um, 
It, it, it is unique. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take a pause there. You're like, I mean, I can't think of anyone else who's, who's I'm like, did I read this story correctly? That your, your dad was part of a group of Native Americans that kind of, kind of chased the Ku Klux Klan out of where you grew up, right? Right, right. The, um, they just had the, um, I think the 50th year or 60th year anniversary of that. But that was, uh, that was part of the lore of our community uh, growing up. Uh, we were right in the middle of uh, uh, clan country. I mean, I, man, I'm sure nobody wants to hear my uh, stories, but, but I, I remember, I vividly remember um, some Ku Klux Klan uh, experiences, and we knew what we knew what it was, and we knew where where not to go. Let's say that. Well, I mean, you don't have to give me share any like I mean of the the most painful ones, but I mean that. Okay, so you're in Deep Branch, right, which is in in North Carolina. So Pembroke, what, what, Pembroke was Pembroke was where I was uh, born and raised, uh, Doug. It's in southeastern uh, North Carolina. Um, the place where the Ku Klux Klan rally was in Maxton, which is about nine or ten miles away, and um, there's there's always threats um, of them of their activity, and they were going to go and you know they everybody knows what the Klan is, but there's there's nothing there's nothing positive that come out of those experiences, uh, dragging people out of houses and beating them up, sending messages. Uh, they 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 really really uh, dislike any kind of mixed marriage, so they they would target families and um, send their messages and and any time they had a rally, you know, next thing you know they were busting somebody's door down, dragging people out of the house. Uh, this is back in the fifties. Uh, this is uh, every time I every time we have Martin Luther King Day, uh, I always think back to. Um, like my father, my father was a um, was inducted in the North Carolina High School um, Coaches Hall of Fame, but he coached in segregation from 1955 up until 1968. I think was when segregation uh, desegregation came to his to the area he coached in. Um, so that that was that was unique. But you know, when you're living in that time. Uh, it's not it's not unique to you. It's it's just the way it was, you know. Um, I remember going to uh, the North Carolina High School Coaches Association clinic, which was a big deal for high school coaches in that state. It was always in Greensboro, North Carolina, and um, so in 1965, I would have been 10 years old, and I remember going to uh, the um, clinics and all the minority coaches sat in one area and all the white coaches sat in another area. Um, if you were a black coach or a minority coach in North Carolina at, at that time, that's just the way it was. You know, black kids played against black kids, white kids played against white kids, Native American kids played against Native American kids. Um, um, but that was, that was normal. Um, so, but you know, you, you, you have those memories and, you know, you're just so appreciative of how far we've come, and I still think we have a long way to go. So you, you play at UNC Pembroke, 
and then you decide did did you pick Michigan State to learn under under Judd, or did you pick Michigan State for a different reason? You know, I uh, I took the GRE. Um, I wanted to go to grad school. I wasn't sure where I was going to go, uh, but by being a minority, by being a minority student, I got to take the GRE for free. That's why I took it. Um, my my, I have a twin sister that was in pharmacy school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, she told me about it. And uh, and I had some friends that um, um, a high school buddy of mine played baseball at North Carolina, so I went to stay with him uh, that weekend. Um, we had a I was playing on the baseball team too. We had a rainout, so I went up there and took the took the GRE. And if you score a certain number, I, I have no idea what I scored, but I. I scored high enough to get put in this thing called a minority locator code because everybody back then was recruiting diversity. Mm-hmm. So I started getting these letters from all these different schools offering um, financial assistance uh, to come to school. And that that particular spring, Michigan State University was playing Kentucky. I think Kentucky had Kyle Macy. Um, I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. Um and I just remember the six nine point guard from Michigan State. He was a freshman. He had a big old puffball afro, and he was just taking that ball down the court, looking one way, flipping it the other. And it was Magic Johnson. And I'm, I was sitting there with my dad, and I said, "Do you believe that point guard six foot nine, Dad? I mean, holy smokes! I never, you just never saw that." And um, lo and behold, within a week or two, I got, I got a letter from uh, Michigan State, and the the guy's name. On the letter was Dr. Gail Michaels, M-I-K-E-L-S, Dr. Gail Michaels, and he had a number. <laughs> so I called, I called the number on the letter, uh, knowing he had no idea who I was. He says, this some kid from North Carolina that we send this form letter to, and he probably thinks uh, it's a personal letter. Right. But that guy was so nice and so professional, and that's how I wound up at Michigan State. Had you? What was your first interaction with Judd like? Did, did your dad call to to talk to him? To no, help? no, no. My interaction with Judd was was really bad. Um, I was nervous. I was intimidated by him. Uh, you could also add scared, scared to death in there too. Um, you know, I I didn't know anybody when I went there. I just. So wait, 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 wait. Take, take me back. Take, take me back before you get there. How did you? Do you remember how you got from North Carolina, Michigan State? I mean, right. This is late seventies. Like, is this bus? Is this plane? Is this no, train? I, I had a, I there? had a, I had an old, I had a ragtop jeep, and um, my twin sister went with me. Um, uh, I think she flew back, but she went with me because uh, I had, I was hauling a, a, a little U-Haul. Uh, one of those real small U-Haul trailers sure. that you just pull on the ba- on the back of the Jeep. Um, going through those mountains in West Virginia, I was really concerned about making it. Um, but once once we once we got there, you know, you just it's a new place, new people, it's a new experience. Um, but I looked at it as an adventure. As as most, I was 22 years old, you know, and I. And, um, you know, what really helped me is I was standing in the uh, uh, dorm, Owen Graduate Hall, with a bunch of graduate students. There was a basketball court 
um, right outside the dorm. And so once I got settled, um, I just went over there and got in a game. And, and I made friends with this guy named Bob Thompson, who wound up being in my wedding. Um, from um, Bob was from um, Gross Point Farms, um, um, Michigan. Really good basketball player, played golf at Valparaiso, was getting his MBA from Michigan State. And he and I hit it off, and he became my, my basketball buddy. So we'd go out and play hoop uh, every day until it got too cold. But um, I made my way over to the basketball office. I was teaching three classes, and I was taking 15 credits. I was going to try to get my master's done in one year. And so uh, I made my way over to the basketball office, and um, the assistant coaches was Dave Harshman, um, Bill Berry, and uh, no, Dave Harshman, Edgar Wilson, and uh, um, then you only had two assistants. You know, you had uh, restricted earnings or part-time is what they were called then, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, I just introduced myself to him and told him I was a grad assistant and and asked him, was there any volunteer positions open? And they just kind of laughed at me. I, probably had, I was probably the 50th kid that had walked in the office that day. And so I, w- I went back another time, and the, the secretary's name was Lori. And she, she was a sweetheart. She was really nice to me. And she said, well, what I would recommend is that you go in and talk to Judd. <laughs> so, um, okay. So I set up an appointment. And I walked into Judd's office, Doug, and he goes, uh, uh, what do you want? <laughs> you know, my confidence level, I finally got my nerve up to do it. My confidence level just fell to the ground. I said, well, um, I played college basketball uh, at, at Pembroke State University, which is now UNC Pembroke. And I was wondering if there's something I could do to, to help out with the basketball team. He looked, he looked me in the eye and he said, no. <laughs> now, 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 Judd, for people, for people who don't know Judd Heathcote, first of all, ridiculously funny, but also ridiculously, ridicu- funny. ridiculously like, like stand-up comedian level funny, but also dirty as can be and incredibly sarcastic. So was he being honest or was he being sarcastic? Honest. He, he was being honest. And um, so I said, okay, I got to come up with a different game plan. So I started going over in the afternoons. Um, um, I teach classes during the morning and afternoon. I'd study, and then at, a lot of the graduate classes was at night. But I had a block in the afternoon that, that I, I could go over to the basketball office. And, and one of the assistants, um, I, started, I formed a relationship with him, Dave Harshman, who later became my assistant at Washington State. Um, but Dave was really nice to me. I said, is there... You guys have extra work that, that I could help you with. And so he pulled a chair up by his uh, desk and um, just, you know, stuffed envelopes, uh, just did secretarial stuff, really. And then he said, uh, have you talked to Judd? I said, yeah. He said, how did it go? I said, not very good. He said, well, you might have caught him on a bad day. Well, long story short, I go in a second time, and he actually talked to me. Uh, and I told him about my father being a high school coach. He liked that because Judd, Judd, you know, was a high school coach for 14 years in Spokane. And so, um, 
But he said, no, there's there's nothing. We don't have anything. Um, and then I found out they had a JV team. And so the third time was the charm, Doug. I went in and said, Judd, is there any way I could be an assistant or, or help out with the JV team? Because the, uh, the uh, restricted earnings guy was named Fred Paulson. And Fred was the head coach for the JV team. And the judge said, well, why don't you go talk to Fred? And if Fred says it's okay, then it's okay with me. And, um, and that's how I became a grad assistant at Michigan State. What was he like as a coach? What, what, what do you take? Like, if you, everyone knows how funny he was, but he won a national championship. They're an incredible program. What about his coaching was unique? Um, Judd had the most incredible memory. He put a lot of pressure on the assistant coaches. Uh, you better know first and last name. You better know their jersey number. Uh, you better have their, their height and weight accurate. You better have their play, their tendencies. If they were a right-hander that went left, a left-hander that went right. Um, he, he knew everything about every single player. That, that really resonated uh, with me. He was so smart with scouting reports. Um, he knew how to take away your strength. I remember we played Purdue one year with Joe Barry Carroll. And Judd knew how to, you know, he played a 2-3 matchup zone. Uh, Terry Donnelly and Mike Berkovich was up front. Uh, Greg Kelser, Jay Vincent, and uh, Irvin was on the back. Um, and then we had this guy come off the bench named uh, Bobo, Ron Bobo Charles, six, seven, or eight, had about a seven-two wingspan. But Judd, Judd knew how to take a man and a half and a, a man and a half and assign it to the player that he wanted to uh, uh, limit. Um, and he did the same thing with Larry Bird in the national championship game. But um, just, just his intelligence, uh, the smartest coach I think I've, I've, ever, I've ever seen. He was so smart, and he was his sense of humor. Um, he could be so sarcastic and tough in practice and say one thing and crack, the whole, crack up everybody, coaches, players. But there was a, a, such a respect for him. Um, and when he got out of coaching, you know, uh, I think Tom – you know, he his exit from Michigan State was what everybody should do. He, he built a house in Spokane at Manitou Country Club. And when he retired, he moved right to Spokane. He didn't want to be around to uh, have a you know a shadow over Tom, which I thought was real professional and classy. Um, but, you know, I, I could always count on the calls from Judd. You know, I, he'd, he'd call and say, hey, tell, you know, he's not, he, he wasn't one of those guys that would um, – um, like like a lot of small talk. Uh, after my first year at Montana Tech, the team I inherited the year before I got there, they were five and twenty-two. My first year, we were four and twenty-three. So Judd calls me up six o'clock in the morning. Uh, Doug, this is a true story. Hey, Cal, uh, Judd here. I, I just wanted to let you know that you're the only coach in captivity that possibly could have taken Montana Tech from oblivion to obscurity. Got to go, Kel. I want to get to Montana Tech in a second. You mentioned the national championship game. Of course, it's the game that changed college basketball forever. What was it like? Well, I was a great assistant. Obviously, I didn't get to uh, travel, but I was there for all the practices. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I was there when they got back. You know, a great assistant under Judd uh, Doug was 
probably right under the senior manager. You know, I was really good at, uh, back then they didn't have whiteboards, they had chalkboards. So I was really good at erasing the chalkboards, making sure uh, Judd had chalk. Um, sometimes I would take assistant cars and get them cleaned out, uh, wash them and vacuum them. And that's the stuff I did, you know, pick up towels. Um, when they get back from road trips, sometimes I'd go meet the managers and help them. Uh, you just did that stuff, but the, the value was just being there and absorbing and learning. Um, you know, and I was I was like a kid in the candy store. I learned from everybody. You know, he had, Judd always had great assistance. His coaches' meetings were legendary. Um, uh, the practices were so intense. Um, but Judd was so serious. Um, you know, I, I run my basketball camp today exactly the way Judd ran his basketball camps at Michigan State. He did bed check every night on every kid. Uh, he had three roll calls a day. He did every roll call. Uh, he never missed a minute. He'd walk, he would go to those gyms, and if those referees weren't running back and forth, he'd stop the game and lecture the referees. <laughs> he, he was he was the most I, – I loved him. I mean, I loved Judd. I loved getting his calls. And um, last three or four years of his life, I tried to call him once or twice a month, and I think he appreciated those calls. And He had so many, he had so many guys in his tree. I, we just played South Florida. Uh, Saturday, and me and, me and Brian Gregory before the game, we were talking about Judd. Um, Magic. Did, for, for somebody who got to see Magic Johnson at that stage in his life, what was he like? Hardest working practice player I've ever seen, uh, Doug. He, uh, Magic had a health class that got over about 1 o'clock. Practice didn't start till 3. Remember the old tossbacks? Mm-hmm. You know, those nets that you threw to and it throw you back. Magic would yep. take those tossbacks and set them up around the gym. You know, he'd have his green practice jersey um, over on the side, and he would work out just in an old gray T-shirt. And he would, uh, by the time everybody got to the gym uh, for practice, Magic's uh, T-shirt would be soaking wet. But uh, his favorite drill, and the, uh, my favorite drill I got from Judd was four-on-four cutthroat. And Judd would use cutthroats uh, to teach certain parts of the game, whether it was post-entry, uh, cuts off the post, uh, ball screens, ball screen defense, what, whatever he was working on. But he would always give uh, Magic the walk-ons, and uh, he never lost. You know, Gary Kelser was the ninth pick, I think, by the Detroit Pistons. Jay was in the first-round pick by Dallas. But uh, Magic never lost um, uh, a cutthroat game. He would make sure his team would win. I mean, he would get on his guys if they weren't playing hard enough. He, he was the ultimate winner. He used to when he played the UCLA men's gym, though. He used to call the worst fouls ever, and it was like, well, it's magic. Uh, you know, so I, well, I, I, yeah. yeah that's, so that's, uh, that's that's part part of why he never lost. You 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 mentioned Montana Tech. You show up there, the team won five games, and you mentioned four, but. Like, listen, your dad was a coach, you played, you're learning as a GA under, under one of the all-time great legends. You show up there. Um, what, was it, what was your first head coaching experience like? Well, let's go back. Um, that summer would have been the summer of 1980. Uh, Tom Izzo and I were commissioners in uh, Judd's basketball camp. Uh, Tom was you know, Division Two guy from Iron Mountain, Michigan, and, you know, I got to know, you know, he, he, I think Tom 
might have been a year or two older than uh, I was. But um, um, we are just working camp. And um, Judd called me in one day and said, hey, because uh, I couldn't get a job. And I, I was finishing my master's, and I was actually getting ready to uh, have a fellowship to uh, work on my doctorate. And so I went in and talked to Judd and asked him what did, it, what did he think I could do. And by this time, I could tell that, you know, um, you can tell when somebody likes you. Judd liked me for some reason. I think he felt sorry for me, to be honest with you. Uh, but he said, well, what the hell are you going to do with a doctorate? What, what are you going to do with that? And he said, teach? You can teach without a doctorate. So he said, why don't you go get a high school job um, if you can't get a college job? And that's the way Judd was. And I was... I was in the process of doing that, and then one day at camp, he came in and said, you want to go to Montana? I knew where, I had heard of Montana, but I didn't know where it was as far as the map. I had to get a map down. But our restricted earnings uh, coach, uh, Fred Paulson, who was an excellent, excellent coach, uh, got the head job at Montana Tech, and uh, he asked me to go with him as his assistant. So I was 23 years old. My, my, uh, I think I turned 24 that October. So this was uh, in August. We got there. Fred ran into some personal problems, and um, the school had never had a winning program. Uh, uh, Doug, it was a bad job, hard job, bad job. It's an engineering college. Every degree cur- curriculum required a minimum of thirty credits of math. So you can see right away it's a tough job, uh, tough job to recruit to. So Jet, uh, Fred left in December. The AD, who was about 78 years old, who was part-time, called me in and said, um, you, want to, um, you want to finish the year out? <laughs> I didn't have any other options. Actually, I was applying for a junior college job. Judd called and told me about a junior college job at Haskell Indian Junior College in Lawrence, Kansas. And I was, and I was talking to them about that. Karen um, um, and I, we didn't have... Um, any kids yet so you know we we were very mobile we could move so i was thinking about going to lawrence kansas and then this thing popped open and so i stayed and finished the year and um um that was a tough year you know it was we went four and 23 that was that was tough but i had uh great kids i still keep in touch with some of those guys one, one of those guys uh owns his own oil and gas uh, company over in San Antonio. So he's actually come to some games at uh, University of Houston. How'd you turn around? Well, I didn't know how to recruit. I'd never recruited before. And at Montana Tech, it's everything's on the phone. You know, you just, I just got all these recruiting services. Um, and I got lucky on some kids. My best players I signed uh, two weeks before classes start. Um, kids that had fallen through the cracks. Um, I got a, the vice president at Montana Tech played college basketball at Carroll College. Uh, my first year at Montana Tech, the best basketball player in our conference was Bobby Petrino, who was the coach at Louisville. Wow! He was the player. He was the player of the year in football, and he was the player of the year in basketball. He could really play, uh, Doug. Um, great shooter, tough. Um, I mean, he, he was a great competitor, but he could really play basketball. Um, we just got a bunch of kids and just played hard. We, we shared the ball. We played hard. and You know, our games were in the 50s. We couldn't score very good. So he was said, well, you guys play slow. No, we just can't score. <laughs> That's, there's a difference. You know, it's, but, what's interesting is 
what's interesting is you had such incredible success at Wazoo and at Washington State was a lot like Oklahoma, is a lot like Houston now, where guys that, I don't know, people missed on or for whatever reason, they weren't. When you got it going at Oklahoma, I mean, Hollis Price obviously was a very highly touted recruit. Um, and in Indiana, even, you were getting highly touted recruits. But it feels like, kind of like you as a coach, you, you, you have more success or maybe, I don't know, you enjoy it more with the guys that have been told no or the guys that slip through the cracks, even going back to Montana Tech. Is that a fair assessment to make of a, of a 600-win career and that you've had a remarkable amount of success and maybe the most success with guys that other people missed on? The early years, for sure. Um, when, when I left Washington State, I thought we were right there with Arizona and UCLA that last because as Isaac Fontaine went on to be a 2,000-point scorer. I had him as a freshman. Uh, Nate Ehrman, who got drafted by Utah, was a freshman. Mark Henderson, who got drafted by Philadelphia 76ers, was a sophomore. Then I had two other kids coming in. We, we were going to be – that's why I was so reluctant to leave Washington State to go to Oklahoma because I thought we had a chance to win the Pac-10. But, but I had really, really good players. But to start our first couple years – uh, uh, you're, you're dead on. We, we had to find kids that just would lace them up and just flat out get after you, and that, that became the identity of our programs. Last thing, to go from where you started to now a 600-win coach, a guy who's been to a Final Four. And, and look, the, the, you know, we don't have time, and nor does it, it, is it worth it with the negative energy about the, the NCAA stuff. But how do you want, when, when people say Kelvin Sampson's 600-win coach, what do you want people to say about you as a coach and about your programs? Well, I think the, you know, the people that know you the best is the uh, your players. Um, the people that don't know you are the ones that have the most opinions. So they're basing their opinion on what somebody else said. And what somebody else said is not always accurate. Uh, you know that as well as I do. Um, I think the, the thing that... Um, I would want to be remembered for was um, that I always had my players' backs, uh, that I supported them, that I that I got my greatest I got my greatest uh, satisfaction out of seeing their success, just seeing them improve, just working with them on a couple things, to see them take that thing and become better, um, and then hearing from them, um, getting wedding wedding invitations, telling them that they had a new baby, I got a new house, I got a new job. Now, I, I get those calls every day. I mean, um, I mean, literally uh, four or five times a week, probably. Because you know, when you coach at so many different schools, you you have so many former players, and hearing from them is what I enjoy the most. Uh, the, the wins and losses, you know, if you win, you're a good coach. If you lose, uh, let's go get another one. I, I get that. That's our that's our profession. You know, somebody said you're a bad guy, therefore you're a bad guy. I, I get that too, um, but. I've always dedicated myself to my players, uh, helping them, um, and that, and I think that's what I would want to be known for. I will tell you this, and again, I know your your time is 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 crunched. When we played against you guys, and I told you this when you were at Indiana, we always I hated that matchup zone because we could never seem to figure it out. Your teams screened better than any team I've ever played. I never played against a team that screened as well. I literally meet like body to body contact and, and they just, and they just competed. And that's where 
we didn't like you, but it was a rivalry to which we actually respected you guys because we felt like our team, our players were better. And yet we could never, it wasn't, we, we could, we split like every, every series. You swept us one year, we swept you one year. But it, it I always right. felt like we we're like, we have better players. Why don't we beat them more? But it's because your teams played so hard and so cohesively. And I just, I'm always fascinated by how that's built. Yeah, I, I think um, if you don't have great players, then you've got to find something to be great in. You know, it's like cutting. I think that's something that, um, um, like I was, I spent 30 minutes yesterday in practice on on, on accelerating through your cuts, uh, just like jump stopping in the ball screens. Um, you know, just little things make such a big difference. Um, I, I read a quote from uh, Martin Luther King uh, that that talks about, um, you know, dreams are big, and you know, small things is what small things is what makes such a big difference. And, in somebody's life, uh, that, and that was so apropos, I think, to the way we try to coach our team here uh, and, and all our teams. But I remember those Oklahoma State uh, uh, games. I, I had a chance. We went back there and played this year. I, I had a chance to see uh, uh, Coach Sutton, and and I told my I told my wife. I said, you know what, uh, Karen, uh, I you know as, as a coach, Doug, when you're coaching a game, you don't always feel the other coach. Uh, I always felt Eddie. I, I always thought he was the best coach that I ever coached against because of the way he prepared his teams. Um, he, he was he taught me a lot. I mean, it, I, I I know I've said this before, but you know, I was 37 years old and I was coming into a great conference. And um, when your biggest rival has a Hall of Famer and a legend down there. Uh, I watched I watched Eddie's teams, you know, and I I learned I learned a lot from him. When I was at Washington State, I learned a lot from Ralph Miller. He was the coach at Oregon State when I got there. I those two guys taught me a lot. Uh, Judd Heathcote, Ralph Miller, and Eddie Sutton. Those those are three great great coaches to to learn from, and I, I learned a lot from all three of them. Well, congratulations on the success on the six hundred wins. Here's the six hundred more. Thanks so much for your time. Okay, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. 
Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotel's location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. All right, let's turn to college basketball kind of quickly here. And um, I did get a chance to see Michigan up close. And um, just to kind of couple quick thoughts on their roster. Obviously, they're, they're built more to play great defense than they are offense. Once Xavier Simpson became their point guard, it, it changed them forever. Now you put you know, Xavier Simpson and Charles Matthews and Jordan Poole in a backcourt. And John Teske's a really good rim protector. He's averaging like two and a half blocks a game. And... Uh, Brasdakis is not a bad defender as a freshman. I mean, he's a big physical body, but if he's your worst defender on the floor, like, and you have really well coached, like that's a good defensive team. Um, and then you also have livers and, you know, they're using Eli Brooks a little bit. So you get a little bit more of a scoring point point guard. I thought Austin Davis did a decent job against Wisconsin. What's, what's interesting. Look, Brasdakis is a guy who eventually, who eventually, Will probably will be an NBA player. I don't think it'll be this year. I think it'll be next year. But he's big enough to be one of these hybrid guys. He's pretty athletic. He's six seven two fifteen. Got to be a little bit better shooter. Got to understand shot selection a little more. He and Jordan Poole are fantastic. You know, like people are on to Jordan Poole because um, he shot so much against Wisconsin. Brasdakis was in foul trouble and was kind of a no show, and you know. Simpson made some shots and made some plays, but he's not a scorer. They just, I'm not convinced they have enough scoring. Matthews is a really good kind of mid range pull up guy, but he is not a pure scorer. It's fascinating to see the transformation of John Beeline, his team from being like unguardable in terms of their offense, their movement, their spacing, to being one that has to generate offense off of their defense. And they turned the ball over a bunch against Wisconsin. The one thing about Xavier Simpson, which is interesting, and, and I experienced a little bit of this, when you get into college and, and teams stop guarding you and then you make shots and now they are guarding you, you'll lose your finishing shots. He's never, he's not a natural scorer in any way. He's a great defensive player. Great defensive player. And, I mean, just tougher than a $2 steak. But he has to learn now how to, it's one thing to learn to finish. It's another thing to learn to finish when guys might be playing a little defense on your finishing shots. It's one thing to learn to shoot. He's reworked his shooting form, and he's shooting a reasonable 33%. Uh, but now can you shoot when people are actually guarding you? I still think Michigan State is the best team in the Big Ten. They just went out and thumped Maryland. Cassius Winston's the best point guard. Three best teams, Maryland and Michigan, and Michigan State have the three best point guards. 
Um, but I think Michigan State, who's the best offense in the league and still pretty good defensively, I think they're the best team. But but it's fascinating to see this transformation of Michigan basketball, right? Fascinating to see it go from an offensive juggernaut to one that is really guarding people. And look, they didn't play well. They turned the ball over, I think, 19 times against Wisconsin and had a shot to win it. Had a shot, had a legit shot to win the game. Uh, last thing is um, watching North Carolina against Virginia Tech, and they thump Virginia Tech, and I know that there have been times in which they haven't played well. But but the emergence of Nasir Little, and it's only one game, and it's only one game where he hits two threes, and he only played 20 minutes, but 23 points, six rebounds, three assists in 20 minutes. If you watched him play early in the year where it felt like it didn't matter how many minutes he played. He was going to get a shot up the first time he touched it, where he's hunting shots more. It's just, it's, it's really impressive what Roy Williams has been able to do with him. And I don't know if he's gotten him to buy in or it's just patience or it's the kid learning to have patience and improving as a perimeter shooter. But he looks so much more comfortable within what they were trying to do offensively. And like, look, Luke May didn't play poorly, but Luke May just does not have the upside of it. I'm still fascinated to see all the versatility, the different lineups that North Carolina could use. And their offense is much more opened up than it was early on at North Carolina under Roy Williams. And, you know, they were running the same stuff they ran at Kansas. But in, in terms of being a kind of closing horse and all the freshmen this year, Nasir Little's a guy that is, watch his tape. He's progressively getting closer to what many of the high school recruiting analysts thought he could be. And, you know, playing the four obviously is going to give them a massive mismatch. Carolina's been impressive with how they've improved here as of late. Last thing here I want to share with you on the pod is how, and many of you are coaches or players or whatever, and, and we've talked before about transferring and why, whether you're against or not. Jordan Tucker transferred from Duke. He only played two games at Duke. Now, had he stuck it out by the end of last season when he transferred, he would have gotten minutes. They needed shooting off the bench, and they probably would have had a better season. But he's, he knew he was coming in, and he didn't think that he was going to get the run, and so he transferred to Butler. And when I talked to Laval Jordan, he was like, look, the ball comes off his hand just better than everybody else. But I, I, I struggle to find minutes for him because, you know, our three starting guards are just so much better defensively. And then, you know, McDermott, who's my starting four man's really a three and he's better defensively may not be the shooter, but he's a very, very good shooter in his own right. Maybe he's a better overall player. And so I struggled to find minutes for him. And this is where you kind of stick it out. and It's a long season and you buy in if you know you're good enough and eventually it'll turn your way. I don't know if you paid attention to Butler, but over the past two games, they've played McDermott and Jordan Tucker together. And and then it, you know, all of a sudden now, uh, Kamar Baldwin had 30 against St. John's. They combined Tucker and Baldwin for, for uh, 54 points, and they beat the Johnnies. Now, that doesn't mean all their problems are solved. You know, they're relatively unathletic at center. Um, and they did just beat DePaul, but they beat DePaul by 18 after trailing early in that game. And they beat St. John's, who's probably the most talented veteran team in the league. And now they got Villanova coming up at the time in which I'm recording this. I think they're going to beat Villanova. I could be dead wrong. 
because they struggle at that four spot guarding anybody and really rebounding. And that's where Villanova will, um, with Eric Pascal, especially when he's playing the four, will expose you. But it's just interesting to me on how coaches come into the season thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I, we're going to be a defensive-minded team. We're going to climb India defensively because we have, you know, we have Aaron Thompson and Henry Badley uh, to go along with Kamar Baldwin, and we'll have the best three guards defending the ball. The problem was, can't score. They just can't score. And, you know, at some point they do award championships or NCAA tournaments to teams that have more points than the opponent. And a little bit of it is, hey, you know what? If you can make shots, they'll find a place for you. But Jordan Tucker is kind of quietly averaging 10.5 points a game in only 19.5 minutes a game. And his production continues to improve. Last three games, all in double figures, 12, 19, 24. I'll be interested to see what he does against Villanova, but I think Butler has figured out who they are. And sometimes it takes you to mid-January, sometimes it takes you to February before you find that out. All right, that's it for All Ball. Again, I encourage you to listen to my radio show, which is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern time, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com or Sirius XM. We're on, what, 217 and 203, right? 217 and 203. Check us out. Um, Make sure you tweet this out, send it to your friend. We really appreciate you listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.